You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 56 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we will talk about Terence McKenna. But how can we do this? Has he not passed away? Well, I am pleased to have one of his good friends on the podcast today, Jacques Olivier. If you also listen to the Psychedelic Salon, you might be familiar with the theme song of that podcast. Well, that is a track by Shock's band Nature Loves Courage. And I will post links to Nature Loves Courage in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com. So, now let's talk to Jacques Olivier. So, uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So, uh, tell me a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Okay, well... My name is Jacques Olivier, and um, I was born in Montreal, raised in Southern California, and let's see, <laughs> um, where do I start? I, was, I first heard, I, I started playing music, uh, you know, in my teens, and and then when, um, in the 80s, I'm, I'm, I'm 61 now, so in the 80s, I had... Uh, played in punk bands in, in the Southern California area and in the mid eighties and then I um did that for quite a while and it was fun and then I had a son who was born, his name is Max in eighty seven. And um during this time I uh, um focused and be- became a graphic designer and did did something that was more lucrative. <laughs> after my son was born. And at that point, I stopped doing music for a while. I was just like, okay, it's time to shift gears. And um, then I met Terrence McKenna in 97. And uh, that was a really exciting time. It was the end of the millennium coming. And I met him on a personal level. I met him at Esalon, which is a a healing retreat in Northern California. And um, we became friends. And I was always interested in his philosophies and psychedelics and mind expansion and, uh, and, and you know, intentional, positive use of them. And um, for him, for me, his influence was a re-inspiration at that time because I had just kind of let go of music for, for quite a while and it was allowed it to be born in a whole new new way. You know, electronics were happening and, and it was just a reinvigoration of my artistic sensibilities. So I formed Nature Loves Courage and uh, recorded the CD that you hear on uh, the pod- on Lorenzo's podcast, Psychedelic Salon. Um, I recorded that in '98, in '99, and um, I incorporated Terence McKenna's voice and philosophies in the music because it was just so inspirational for me. And um, and it's and then um, that was the launch of Nature Loves Courage. And even the name is inspired by Tens McKenna because didn't he used to say Nature Loves Courage? It sure is. It were actually the first person to coin that was Plato, and Terence was was quoting Plato. He says Nature Loves Courage, and what's true is beautiful. And at, at the end, I, I kind of got close to him at the end of his life from 97 to and he passed in 2000 and the last time I saw him was on the big island of Hawaii and uh, it was uh, a New Year's Eve party for the 2000 millennium and he, he had already been diagnosed with his cancer and he was deep into it and he, you know, he left the planet four months after that so um, yeah and I, I had many occasions to interact with him personally at, at the 
famous, now infamous Entheobotanical uh, uh, retreats that he would uh, speak at in Mexico, in Palenque and um, Uxmal. And it was amazing, you know, it was just an amazing group of people. Alex Shogun, Sasha Shogun, and uh, Paul Stamets of Psilocybin uh, Mushroom fame, and, and then and McKenna and many others. And uh, it was just a really um, powerful, invigorating time in my life, a shift, you know. So, um, yeah. You know, Terence is a very good speaker. Uh, if you ever hear his talks on the internet, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he's very good at speaking. But, you know, when he's not being recorded, you know, in private life, it, does he speak like that also, or is it just an act? Well, he's very deliberate when he speaks, and he, he was that way in private life. He would think about <clears throat> what he was saying, and he's extremely articulate. And um, you know, he would he would ham it up in the in some some in some of the shows. But really, he that's that was that was Terrence, very uh, methodical, very deliberate, and also at the same time, you know, capable of intense chaotic, you know, intense traveling. So. He became like a an older brother to me. In fact, his his son, his brother Dennis, is my age now. And uh, yeah, I, I came to a point. The song you're probably going to play at the end of that that we talked about playing at the end of the podcast is "Source." I actually recorded that while I was living in his his home. He he passed in 2000, but I I became a confidant of the family and and everyone that knew him. And in 2008 to 2011, I caretake I was caretaking uh, the Anthea Botanical Garden and and the home that he built in the, on the Big Island of, of Hawaii. And that was an amazing experience. And we ended up recording that song. My son is an electronic musician. He goes by the name of Greenhouse, and uh, does also a dark ambient council with nine. Um, anyway, he, he's he's a producer, and so we recorded that song in Terrence McKenna's library uh, in his house on um, the birthday of my then partner. She was uh, my fiance, and she passed away in 2011. And this was her last birthday, and she is on that song, and she co-wrote it with me. Her name is Jacqueline. So, um, so I dedicated that song to her, and and it was just a one of those nights where you know I just record incredible. I just recorded a guitar and some vocals, and she recorded vocals, and then my son later uh, took it to a whole other level, like a la Tipper or uh, you know um, Blue Tech or. And, and electronically produced to put a beats on it and, and added some ambient layers and, and, and uh, it just came out really good. I'm really happy with it. And you recorded it in the library that, uh, was that the library that burned down? Uh, no, no, I recorded it in his house, at which he had a library upstairs in the house. I was living in his house. And you see images of that house probably around, it's like an A-frame and, and there's a one really famous image that Dean Chamberlain, who was commissioned, photographed in uh, using a, a, a analog photographic technique that highlights um, all the colors. It's like he leaves the exposure on. And anyway, you, you can see that house. And it was upstairs in in uh, Terrence's Terrence's personal library that that was recorded. Okay, so so it the library that burned down that was after he passed. Yeah, in fact, his his he had a really extensive collection of books because in you know in the in last century, the twentieth century, books were more uh, important. And uh, he the after he passed, I I assisted his brother Dennis in packing up that library, and they sent it. To, they sent the books, half some of those books, to um, Big Sur, which is where I met Terrence. Esalen, and they were going to because he would give talks there every every August, you know, for many years. And um, those those are the books that went up in flames that because they stored the books in Monterey, and um, 
a restaurant was next door and it caught fire and those books went up in flames. So, yeah, that's the story of his books from the library <laughs> I was involved in. It's like almost when he passed, everything passed connected to him. You know. Well, you know, actually, from what I can see now, uh, you know, uh, 15 years later, it's like there's, the the vision that he was holding and he was so far ahead of his time are things are coming to pass i mean uh, you know psychedelics in the united states are now getting uh, more uh recognition as as uh healing uh medicines and uh things are things are lightening up everywhere with ganja and and so he he's more popular today than he was in the you know in 2000 I mean he he had a very good head of steam going in 2000 but then he then he passed on and now it seems like he's he reaches uh more people than he did at that time so that's and that's part of why you know incorporating his, him into my music it's like it just lives on you know and now with the internet and, and he he left him so much and he was very generous he wanted he was more in he was more interested in spreading uh, at least the good news about psychedelics than he was in personal fame. He never wanted to be like a, you know, an icon or a guru or anything. He was just like, use anything that I say because I stand by anything I say. He had a lot of integrity, so I really honor him for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's he has a big presence online these days i mean uh, personally i i discovered him many years after he had passed so you know that's how i i stumbled on one vi video and then if you if you sit through one Terrence McKenna video you you usually look at another one you know yeah well there's so many that i mean i've looked i've seen i thought i've seen all of them but every once in a while i'll hear a podcast or i'll hear a new talk and you know everybody was uh fascinated with his with his work and and so he was a major inspiration in my in rekindling my my love of music and uh and in tra personal transformation as well because through him and the conferences i was able to travel to the amazon and work with shaman and and do uh so many powerful personal healing works so it's um yeah <laughs> do, you, do you think his experience with psychedelics uh, helped him deal with uh, knowing he was going to die? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I I know that. Because, I mean, that's kind of, that's the trip, isn't it? I mean, it's we all live and, and we're all, end of life's going to come and, unless we get to the point where we download ourselves and then and the whole paradigm changes. But, you know, the fact is life and death is real and, and not being afraid of it and going into it and, orchestrating it as you were in fact he, you know he knew they had given him three months to live and, and he actually lived a year after that but he he he's and, and he says it in one of his talks too I've, I've heard it he came to find it as a blessing because it, it, it he had he knew it was going to come to an end so he he basically just built it to a crescendo you know and it was just a beautiful experience and i know his brother was uh administering um some uh medicines at the at the end of his life and i, I, I the story is that he passed in his sleep with a smile on his face and and um you know uh that's that's about the and and he was honored by his friends there was a conference in 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 hawaii in 99 that i attended a called all chemical arts and all of his friends were there. A lot, a lot of them were um, Tom Robbins, the, the author, and Alex Gray. And it was all just this outpour, incredible outpouring of love for him because he couldn't travel at that time. So everybody just came to Hawaii. And and, uh, and he was loved by many you know, on, a, on a personal level, yeah. You mentioned that you were caretaking the botanical gardens. What is that? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, he he in the in the 80s, he and Cat Harrison, his wife, purchased uh, I think 20 acres on the Big Island of Hawaii, and they had been to the Amazon and they realized 
uh, you know, they brought cuttings of ayahuasca from the Amazon, and they planted them in Hawaii, and, and it's a perfect environment for them, so it, it just thrives. And so by the time I was caretaking his property, the, there was just um, beautiful specimens, and, and we would do some planting of uh, many different many different psychoactives, you know, uh, including salvia and ayahuasca. And so I, I was uh, pruning and taking care of things and, you know, making sure that plants were happy. Are, are and, all, and also refurbishing the house because the house had been sort of neglected for a little while. Are all those plants illegal in Hawaii? No, the, the the plants aren't. Uh, the, the the status of ayahuasca is um, is sort of it's sort of gray, like like many drugs. You know, like the the plants themselves are not illegal because chacruna is a relative of the coffee plant, and the ayahuasca is, is a vine, a woody vine. And uh, but the ayahuasca brew is, you know, it can be if if it's condensed into a brew, then it can it has been scheduled. But I know there's been some breakthroughs with that legally. I know the, uh, I think it's it's considered like if there's a brew, the brew part, it's like the Native American church kind of thing with peyote, you know, which is uh, considered available for use for religious practice. Is this botanical garden still existing? Uh, but uh, Botanical Dimensions, which is owned by Cat, which is the whole property, still does exist, yes. And uh, I know Cat Harrison has uh, yearly uh, college students come and she gives a class on, on exotic botanicals there. I know that uh, Terrence smoked uh, cannabis every day. Uh, uh, th yeah. That's what he said anyway. Did he, yeah. you know, in his older days, did he use, did he grow his own or did he get it somewhere? Uh, no, you know, the conditions in, in whole, uh, he didn't do, he didn't grow any cannabis um, on the on that property, but there's, he knew people that, that did grow it. And yeah, he was a devotee of, uh, of cannabis. For sure. Yeah. In fact, I, I partook with him a few times. The last time we being in December of '99 at his house. Yeah. Did he smoke it pure, or did he mix it with tobacco? No, he didn't mix it with tobacco at all. He was he was a purist. His son smokes does spliffy does tobacco the year old style. But uh, you know, he was just cannabis smoker. You yourself have you been had uh, like experiences with with ayahuasca? I have, and through you know through knowing him and meeting him, I was able to go to the Amazon in in 1999 October and spend a couple months and work with uh, Don Jose Campos and some uh, people shaman there, and it was extremely powerful. I've also had occasion to smoke DMT, and I did. With with Terrence, I think I was the last person he actually held the pipe for, because it happened uh, in this on the Big Island in December of '99 at that time, and there was a group of us that he came in and sat with, um, with uh, you know NN, and it was just a private session, and uh, there were 13 of us, and he did everybody in pairs, and then I was the 13th guy. <laughs> And I had to, you know, I realized I was sitting in this Frank Lloyd Wright house on the Big Island of Hawaii, and I realized where I was at at that moment, that I was sitting in front of him and he was holding his life, and I was going to have this experience that I hadn't ever experienced before. But I'd read about it a lot, and I'd hungered for it, and there it was, it was manifest. And um, I, I, I took four hits which is like, you know, he, he his instructions are keep smoking until you, you just can't anymore. And, uh, you know, I took one, two, and then I was really going deep. And I took another third one. He would ask every, like at a minute interval, do you want another hit? You know, and everybody else was just holding space. And at the third one, I was like deep into the trip. But then I heard him say one more time, do you want another hit? And I just, I 
lifted myself up and I took the biggest hit that I could ever, you know, just inside out hit and held it. And I was facing him and I looked straight into his eyes and his the image of his of his head just exploded into just fractals right there, you know, in real time, and became uh, these glowing chrome basketballs or balls, chrome balls with light shooting out in all directions, rotating, and it's perfect. And I just, I just, it was like almost over the top. <laughs> it was like I was just, that was it, you know. It was, um, and then, and then here's the thing. At the end of the, you know, it's like ten minutes into it, I started to come back into my body, and I realized, God, I'm in a whole other part of the room, and I think I made a lot of noise, and I was looking around at the people, and they were kind of, some of them had this stunned look on their face, and 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 his Terence's instructions were nobody says anything until the person who smokes says something, breaks the silence, because that's how you hold space. And I was just, I didn't know what to say, because I think I'd said enough already. <laughs> And then he just looked and he was smiling and he said, now that's how I smoke the MT. <laughs> just full commitment, you know. So that was, that was, um, that's one of my vibrant flashback stories of my life. <laughs> what, did this happen towards the end or? Yeah, it was December of 99 and he was diagnosed in, I think in May of 98. No, May of '99. So, and then he died in April of 2000. So it was, uh, yeah, I think that was the last public appearance by Terrence. You know, it wasn't even public; it was a private session that we were doing. We did a couple of ayahuasca days, and then uh, the third day he came in and smoked everybody out. So, so it was pretty, pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, it must be amazing to been given the DMT straight by him. Yeah, yeah, and it was his, and it was like this pure white crystal, and he's like, oh, it's just amazing. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've smoked it since, and smoked different forms of it, acacia, and 5-MeO-DMT, and had different qualitative experiences, but that one, it can't be repeated. <laughs> well, like, none of them, none, you know, no experience can really be repeated. In his private life, was you know, because he always quotes books. I mean, was he always sitting around reading? He was extremely well read. He was he was a lover of Scientific American uh, magazine, and and he, his library was extensive. There were just walls and walls of books that were ranged from uh, philosophy to science fiction. He really liked Greg Egan and um, some some of the darker science fiction writers. Um, yeah, he was um, extremely well-read and well-educated. I mean, I, I I definitely, in his presence, the, the, he, he, I, I did, didn't feel up to his level, you know, like uh, absolutely intellectually. You know, he just had such a broad, uh, range of, of, of knowledge, but he never made anybody feel that way. You know, he would just meet you where you were, and that was always a really uh, beautiful thing. How much, I mean, he often spoke about the internet, but how much of the internet did he really get to experience? Because, you, well, know, in he, he, you know, in the in the yeah. 90s, it wasn't really like yeah, it is yeah, now. Well, he was on the cutting edge of it. One of his good friends was a guy named Mark Pesci who wrote VRML, VRML code. And uh, they had him up to speed. So he, at the house that I was caretaking, it was 30 miles from Kona. And in the 90s, he had the only internet connection. It was directly beamed from Kona straight to a big satellite dish above his library where I record that. And... Um, so he was on the cutting edge of the internet. And he he dreamed of it and he loved it. He was a, 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 a he knew it was the, the next thing. And you know his his whole uh, end of time 2012 thing. It, it's it's like the world was changed forever by that time. You know with the internet 
And so in some ways you can look at it and go, well, yes, this is an extreme novelty because once the Internet has been up and running and is, is what the world depends on now, you know, it's a different world. And now with uh, 2016, when they're going to come out with the virtual reality headset, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's our thing. VRML. Mark Pesci did the first version of that back in '99, and, and but it, you know it, had, it was buggy and stuff. But he was on that, and and Mark Pesci is um, he's a writer too. He's, he's a really good guy. Um, so Terrence was totally hip to that. He was friends with uh, you know all the all the the techies in, in NorCal and. Silicon Valley, and he was uh, always on the leading edge of that. And it's it, it's it's funny because the the satellite dish that was on top of his house in the '90s to get this beam that was just to his house from another equally large satellite dish in Kona. It's like some people have speculated that he he might have just been getting too much of a beam because I mean literally the. The saddle dish was like right above his desk, you know, right above on the roof of the of the house. And so since then, you know, when I was living there, they took, we took it down, and it was just a regular internet connection. But uh, some people thought, well, maybe that had something to do with his brain cancer. You know, yeah, it's just speculation, but yeah, some people have speculated that it was, you know, that. If the psychedelics had anything to do with it, but I doubt that myself. No, he was told by the the doctors. He asked them that specifically. He said, "You know, I, you know, well, what is this? Was it was it drug use? Was it diet? Was it, uh, you know, uh, environmental pollution? What, you know, what is it that?" <clears throat> and uh, you know, he, he'd asked the doctors specifically, "Was it, was it my the DMT drug use?" He goes, "They said no." Not at all, because DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is is in your, the pineal gland of your brain. You know, it's it's synthesized from tryptophan, which is you know a, an amino acid. And the brain, the reason the DMT flash only lasts ten minutes when you smoke it, is because your brain recognizes it right away, because it's really close to your brain chemistry. So it's not it wasn't the DMT. It was, it was obviously something, and you, you just you ask yourself a question, and you do your best. But when it's time to go, it's time to go, you know. And you just left in the most beautiful way possible. I don't know if it's true, but I heard something about the tumor had the shape of a mushroom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I heard. I saw some interview, and I think he mentioned that it was funny. He thought. Well, you know, cats are, are mold, fungus, and yeast. I mean, that's kind of what it is. <clears throat> and uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he, um, he. It's interesting because at the end of his life, his brother was administering uh, synthetic uh, psilocybin, which is four four HTP. Uh, it's four. Let's see, what is it? 4-HTP tryptamine, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, his brother's a drug designer, so I know that that's what he was using <clears throat> at the end. Wait, why was he using that? Uh, just, that's the way he chose to go. That's what, you know, he wanted to be fully conscious. He didn't want to be morphine out. He didn't want to be drugged out. He wanted to be on psychedelics. So. Oh, so he didn't do, like, the traditional like chemotherapy or I don't know what they do well he did <clears throat> God what he did he did they did uh, they did a couple of things and at the end they did like a laser surgery and they, you know they tried to get <clears throat> most of it but um, he he did he, he did the protocols yeah but but when it was like in hospice at the end his brother was giving him uh, um 4-HO, I think it's 4-HO trypsine, which is a synthetic psilocybin. Uh, it's easier to take, you know, take it or just pills. And he didn't want to, to spend his last days in, in the hospital because they can be quite no. cold. Right, he was in a home in San Rafael, 
uh, owned by in, in a beautiful place, which is uh, right outside of San Francisco. It was in a bedroom overlooking the lake. And had music, and had friends. His family came came over, and, and uh, yeah, that was it. And then he went to sleep on the morning of April third, two thousand, with a smile on his face. And he wasn't on any morphine or anything. There was anything. He was like totally just cannabis and, and uh, synthetic psilocybin. Was there any like manuscripts for future books that got lost in that? library fire you know there I know his brother has just written a book called The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss and uh, I I think there there is some stuff and it was mostly based on the time wave and I, I believe his son Finn has that stuff and he's going to be he's going to be uh, condensing it and making a book out of it Okay, so some things got, uh, survived after all. Oh, yeah. The most dear things, Dennis, his brother, and his son kept, but then the big, he had so many. The big majority of things were were sent to, the bulk of the things were sent to uh, <coughs> Esalen, and then they went into Monterey Fire. Yeah. Oh, I see. He, he also had, at the home, he had a, an extensive uh, collection of butterflies from around the world because pre, pre uh, his before he was an author, he was uh, in Indonesia and traveling in, in, all around that that way, doing a, a butterfly collection, and as well as you know other things, plant investigations. What was it that made him spend so much of his life in Hawaii? Well, you know, it's it's kind of a it's if if you live in California, like I do and like he did, it's very close, and it's a whole other world. Hawaii, what what he loved about it, and what I came to really love about it, is the same kind of yearning about Hawaii. It's the most isolated place on earth. It's in the middle of the Pacific. It's alive. The Big Island is growing every day. And uh, it's relatively new, and um, it's a very, very powerful place. Uh, the mana, the whole Hawaiian people, and uh, spirituality, and the connection to nature. The Hawaiian people are the only indigenous uh, American on American land. Of course, it's it's not American land, but the only that maintain their language. You know, like uh, Ho'oponopono or uh, Kamehameha. You know, it's they like in Hawaii. People still still speak it, and all the names of the towns and places are in Hawaiian, which is you know the first things conquerors do is they go in and they wipe out the language. You know. I saw some news the other day that uh, they they're working to try and get Hawaii to become free mm-hmm. yeah, from from America. There's there's a sovereignty movement that's been around for quite a while, yeah. Um, you know, whether that happens or not, I mean, the U.S. considers everything it's it's you know, you know, like they have bases everywhere in the world. You know, it's like the it's bizarre living here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the main reason why it won't happen is because the strategic military base of sure. Hawaii is, you know, they can't, we not never give that up, I don't think. Yeah, well, you never know. The, 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 the spirit is strong. And I lived there for many years when I was living there. And I got to know Hawaiian people, and it was just a very deep source of, uh, of pain for them. You know, I, I totally get it. And, uh, but, but it's, it's coexisting, right? Right now it's like, the population of Hawaii is like a third Hawaiian background, which is a mix of Portuguese and and uh, and uh, Polynesian, and uh, a third Japanese or Asian, and a third white American, mostly from the west coast of the United States. <laughs> That's kind of how it breaks down. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to go to Hawaii one day. It's the only place, because uh, I'm in Europe, it's the... Uh, it's the furthest place I can travel on this earth. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the longest distance. 
Oh yeah, and and you know, there's the highest mountain on earth, which is where the slope of the, his house was on the slope of that, Mauna 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 Loa, and Mauna Kea, and there's observatories, and you can drive up 14,000 feet, and you can see the moons of Jupiter, you know, through a simple telescope. It's just amazing. Are there volcanoes uh, erupting still? Or? Yeah, there's there's a volcano that's been erupting on the Big Island consistently since 2006. It's still flowing, so it gets the island's getting bigger every day. And there's actually another island to the south of Hawaii that's going to come. Other big island is going to come up within 20, 30 years. A real estate man's dream. <laughs> oh yeah. <that's> crazy, yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, it, it is because lava flows come in and take things out. And, you know, people people go to Hawaii and have this fantasy of living in Hawaii, and they buy property and then they never end up moving there. You know, it's like let people can't let go of everything. So it's it's this very powerful place that way. And the the island chooses you. You know, the different islands. It's like if you belong there, then. She accepts you, Pele, the, the fire goddess. But if, if you don't belong there, watch out. <laughs> Karma, it, since it's so new, it's such a new place. Like literally, the island is, I don't know, five million years old. It's not that, it's not three, no, half a million years old, the big island. It's that karma is instant. Like the manifestation, the, the, the time from thinking about something to it actually happening is instantaneous. <laughs> you know, it's a very, very strange uh, dynamic over there. Really beautiful. Is there anything um, that you can tell about Terence McKenna that, you know, maybe, you know, the general public are not aware of, like something he does or interest or, you know, that you don't, don't get from his talks? Right. Well, he was a—he was actually a really personal guy, a very private guy. That's why he chose to live in the Big Island of Hawaii in, in relative isolation. He wasn't near a town, you know. He was pretty much up the slopes of the mountains, so he's—he really uh, enjoyed his privacy and uh, was, at least during the time that I came to know him extremely um, let's see skeptical and hopeful at the same time you know the healthy skeptic in him would question everything and then he realized that, that all answers are just everything is just known I mean it's like you know what I mean you, you, the words are just very see, that's why he was so interested in DMT because It was another way to communicate information, not using words. You know, his whole thing was about visible language, like something you just, uh, like telepathy, beyond telepathy, just just general, real understanding between beings, you know, like on an instinctive level. One thing I, I don't think I never heard him really mention Uh, in his talks, is um, I mean, he's mentioned it, but he hasn't really said what he thinks, and it's uh, about God. Uh -huh. He kind of walks around this subject, or maybe it's because he doesn't like I the word. <laughs> I think it might be more the position of the agnostic, like, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. It could be, could not, you know. But I, I know that his, there was a real deep, personal spirituality and it had to do with uh, transcendence you know it had to do with uh, just like he, he was the big picture you know mm. and so whether you call that I mean he talks about the transcendental object at the end of time like like God energy pulling us toward it you know or her or, her, or whoever it is or You know what I mean? But he didn't personalize it. He didn't, he didn't make it like a, you know, it, it didn't have to be the Jesus story. He, he was aware of all the stories. And I think if he was anything, he'd be more of a Taoist than anything. You know, it was like that kind of attitude. But he, yeah. 
he was a deeply personal, spiritual uh, person. Yeah, so he was definitely not an atheist. <laughs> no, he wasn't even more more agnostic, if anything. Yeah. You know, like I don't know, I don't have all the answers. You answer that for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much into empowering you. It wasn't about listen to what I say because I'm just another schmuck with an idea that's true or both. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what do you feel? What what is your take on this? And express that. And it's about all of us expressing ourselves to our maximum potential. But but didn't he like sometimes struggle with the fact that like the way he made his living was people yeah. paid to listen to what he said. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that was huge. That's the irony of life, isn't it? I mean, it was huge. Uh, he he didn't. He rode that edge between celebrity and and fame. You know, it's like you don't want that fame. You just want the recognition, and you want to be able to do, afford to be able to live and do what you are good at. You know, but yeah, he did struggle with that, and actually, that that issue played a part in in his marriage falling apart. You know, and uh, because that happened after. Um, you know, he became more recognized, like in the mid '90s. He was attracting. I know Bob Bob Dylan's ex-wife courted him for a while, and, and this is just a story from from uh, you know his son telling me this because you know he lived through the whole the whole experience. And so, yeah, he he was human. And he struggled with it for sure because that's a very powerful thing, you know. It must be so difficult. For uh, yeah. for the children to have uh, such a father figure, because I'm sure they get harassed with questions about their father all the time. Act- yeah, actually, they're super private, and that's part of why I did actually didn't even uh, I had them had Lorenzo stop the podcast because I was questioning. Well, is this too like too much privacy? You know, invasion. That was like five, five years ago. Yeah, but. Uh, they're super private, both of them. And then uh, Clea, his daughter, is an artist, photographer. She's amazing. And Finn is is an artist in his own his own way, and he, he uh, like a graphic artist and uh, and a writer. And but they they definitely, um, you know, maintain their privacy. They don't they don't get out there too much. But they they must understand still. Why so many people are fascinated? Uh, because uh, it's very, sp- you know, uh, Terence McKenna is a bit different than most celebrities, which are yeah. famous for a movie or a, a, an album. But this guy right. is more famous. He might have changed people's lives. Uh, right. Their ideas, yeah, the basic life assumption. Yeah, which which makes it like people could be behave more, you know. Like oh, enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's. I know that the the process for Finn is is just about. Uh, you know, it's it's delicate because he de- he didn't like all the the, cra- the crazy hysterical people because are you know any any kind of uh, movement of people will have a certain ratio of people that are balanced and some that aren't. You know, <laughs> and he had to experience. Uh, a lot of that, so it's it's a challenge for them even to this day. But uh, he must still have been, you know, he could walk down the street, you know, fairly unknown. It was just oh, yeah. in certain circles that he was a superstar, you know. Yeah, yeah, and especially back, you know, in the nineties, it was pre-internet. So it was you had to really kind of dig for him. I, I actually heard, first heard him on the radio late night at radio in Los Angeles in. Uh, on a radio show called Roy of Hollywood, and he would do this late night, you know, middle of the night radio show, and he had some of Terrence's first early talks, you know, about, about things, and uh, I became fascinated then. But it wasn't mainstream, you know, it wasn't accessible like it is now with the internet. Okay, so, so. Uh, uh, anything you finally want to say? Something you, your biggest wisdom you you still have to this day from from knowing Terence McKenna anything that yeah. sticks out yeah uh, trust yourself trust your instincts 
um, and also that there are no boundaries. We're, it's all one. There is no separation between the self and the other. It's all interdependent and uh, and uh, based on love. I mean, that way, if there's a if there's a simple word that it boils down to, it's that. It's love because that contains empathy and compassion and respect and all all the things that are good and true and beautiful in the world. And uh, I really thank uh, him for putting me on on a path that has helped me personally and I know that uh, the plants don't lie you know the plants don't have an agenda you know beyond uh, they, they speak and they show and just be open and listen to them follow your heart that's it <laughs> cool well we're gonna finish this episode with the song uh, Source and you mentioned uh, it a bit before but uh, can you say uh, uh, also about your uh, other album. Yeah, uh, the album that I did in '99, which uh, Lorenzo picked up for the podcast, is called Chatal Huyuk. It's under Nature Loves Courage. If you go to Facebook, Nature Loves Courage, all one word, or you can go on the internet. That's my stuff. I have some YouTube's up as well, and. Um, Nature loves courage, and the the album is Chatalia. That was a '99. It's like seven songs, and the seventh track is is basically a lecture that Terence gave in Ushmal in 1998, and we personally recorded it on a handheld uh, thing. And there's some some music that uh, Baba Doof, which is a he's an amazing electronic musician of of that time, uh, put behind it, and so. That's all available on CD Baby or iTunes or anything under Nature Loves Courage, one word. And you can find it all there. And Source, that particular song, is my most recent thing, and that was recorded in 2011 on the big island of Hawaii in Terrence's home in the library. And it was um, the female voices, Jacqueline, my then uh, fiance who passed later that year um, and she co-wrote and sang it and it was the first thing she ever sung in her life and she did a great job you know, it's, a, it's the most personally moving song that I've, I think I've ever done cool uh, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast thank you Alex and uh, many blessings and good luck freedom is in the mind we are not a part of nature. We are to life what life is to the inorganic realm. What you experience in the psychedelic experience is eternity.